Welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made for Kansas City fans by Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we got a big old packed show for you tonight. We're going to dissect some spring training. We're going to review a fantastic beer from the fantastic state of Vermont. But first, boys, I have a very exciting announcement to share with you guys. Do we do we get picked up by uh, ESPN and we're now named Second Take? We actually got picked up by ESPN and we are a show called Even Colder Pizza. So, you know... <laughs> I, I chatted him out of the I chatted him out of the name of doing a crossover with the band Sublime called uh, Sublime with Jim Rome is Burning. <laughs> <laughs> the even trio. They originally just wanted to call us frozen hot dogs. We weren't even cold peas. We were just frozen hot dogs. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we're not them. Keep so, going. So the special Keep announcement. Going, do, you, do you know what today's date is? Uh, March 9th. That is correct. Meaning coincidentally out of just like the stars aligning this is the exact to the day one year anniversary from us cutting our very first episode of season zero wow really yes the first I thought we started earlier than march 9th the first so no. we tried cutting an episode and it didn't work and that would have been like March 2nd. But the very first episode where we got a cut first episode was March 9th, 2020, one week before the COVID pandemic broke out in the United for, States. Sorry, for our viewers out there, we didn't start this podcast like other podcasts during COVID, right? It was like, oh, COVID happened. All right, I guess we'll start a podcast. No, we've been wanting to do this, so I don't want you guys to think that we're posers. We're we're some like hipsters. No, no, no. We decided to do this when we were all healthy, when the world looked great. Well, most of it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. But yeah, we... Yeah. This was going to be like a sports betting meets Memphis Grizzlies podcast, I think, originally. Are you really going to say that we're not posers or hipsters? Absolutely, we're not posers yeah, or hipsters. No, we're not posers or hipsters. As you, I drink my, like, super hipster IPA right now. But we've transcended <laughs> hipsterdom to the point that, like, our counterculture is just culture, you know? That's true. <laughs> we're sticking to the... Sticking to our guns. But like Armando said, we didn't start this like two weeks into COVID being like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do to document ourselves a la Fallout? No, 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 no. We started this two weeks before COVID officially like broke out and things went into crazy lockdown. So take that to the bank. Wow. Happy anniversary. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Happy anniversary. Arma- yeah, happy, happy anniversary, anniversary Kyle. Guys. Man, I love you guys. It's been a great 365 I love you guys days too. Here's to at least 365 more. Absolutely. Speaking of which, uh, another fun announcement is that our website is now live. That's right. No more checking on Facebook for updates. No more going to Podbean for updates. You can now find us at FountainCitySportsMedia.com. And when you get there, you're going to see a landing page full of different places to listen to this podcast, which if you're listening to this podcast right now, good on you. Share the website with a friend. Tell them to subscribe to their favorite podcast streaming services because I tell you what, we are Johnny Cash because we are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I I know Johnny Cash, but I don't know that reference. No, sorry. sorry. I was, it was, it, no, I... I 
You should have said everywhere. I, I should have said everywhere. Yeah, it's it's a bad I've been everywhere yeah. joke. If I have to explain the joke, oh, okay. it means it's, I failed. That's that's basic comedy one. It's okay. Well, anyway, that, I've been everywhere, man. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Oh, 100%. great. So you know, just just check out the website. You can uh, you can listen to the podcast from multiple different sources from there. We also have uh, direct links to our social media pages, including Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. There is also a link to our Patreon page if the spirit moves you to become a friend of the podcast. Just check it out www.fountaincitysportsmedia.com. So, all things considered, I'm pretty excited about this show for those two reasons. Are you guys pretty excited about this show? Yeah, it's royal season, baby. Listen, here's something that I want to put to you guys before we get into this. Uh oh. So, you know how the game of baseball is always changing, right? And one thing that I love about these spring training games and sort of what's happening that I'm curious if you guys also like is that the night before every game, the managers get together and decide how many innings to play. I think that's fantastic for spring training. And here's why. Not only do you get the kind of parameters for resting guys surrounding, you know, COVID protocols and stuff like that, making sure that coming off of the break where, uh, you know, as we talked to Wyatt in our interview last season, like most of those minor league guys, you know, didn't pitch an official game last year. Uh, And so getting back into form is a huge thing. But also, if you have a plan for what you want to do, like today's game, you know, Duffy basically did a mini start and then we had a couple innings of relief and then Santana did a simulated mini start in kind of the middle of the game. So then you may want to play a full nine, right? Uh, But then other days, you know, six, seven innings is enough for what you want to do if you just want to look at a few bullpen guys, etc. I think that's fantastic and something that should be kept for future spring training so that you're not just beholden to whatever schedule gets spit out by the MLB. The only issue that I see is that fans could get upset, but... I would counter that with the fan experience of going to spring training is not just about the innings of baseball, right? Because like the later innings just get total rotation, checking guys out um, way down the roster. And so it becomes way more about getting an autograph or observing batting practice or whatever. So what do you guys think? I like that idea, to be honest. I think it's great that we don't have to watch nine innings of what essentially equates to the baseball equivalent of the NFL Pro Bowl. You know, it's... You know, we're not here to watch super competitive baseball. The guys that know they're going to start, you know, like Salvi, Carlos Santana, those sort of dudes, they're just taking at-bats to kind of get, you know, the, the winter rust off. It's dudes like Matias and, you know, Bobby Witt that kind of have some more stuff to prove right now that are really playing hard. But subsequently, you know, like you said, we're swapping pitchers out after one inning, maybe two innings. So it's not like we're here to watch competitive baseball. We're here to watch, like, glorified scrimmages and get stoked for our team this year. I guess I'm okay with the like them planning how many innings there's going to be, but I'm not okay with the pitch count method thing because that ruins situational baseball, which is important for especially the Royals because we know with runners on base, Royals were not 
particularly great in 2020 or even 2019, right? Like bases loaded statistically, we weren't great. So like having those situational things, right? If you have a pitcher that pitched 19, but we have the bases loaded, then then they pitch 20 and then the innings over the next inning, the bases are cleared, right? We don't go back to the bases loaded. So that's something that I think is important for, especially our young guys like Michael A. Taylor, um, seeing what Nikki Loca Lopez can do in those situations. Um, that I don't like, but I mean, it's fine, fine. But whatever about like the innings pitch, because you're right, you want to see certain people and they already know who they're going to put in. But like that, I think that's really important, especially for the Royals. I think these are great points raised by both of you guys. Uh, but in the meantime, speaking of spring training, speaking of Bobby Witt, we're going to shoehorn yet another segment into this show that we're going to call Wit Watch. Not Whit Merrifield, but the young up-and-comer Bobby Wood Jr., who is supposed to be the saving grace of this franchise. Baby Mike Trout, playing like a sturgeon, Bobby Wood Jr. This is just going to be fun for right now. Uh, you know, we're just going to kind of go over his stats and what he's done so far. I mean, he's not looking too bad. 17 at-bats, which is the most on the team so far. He's hitting 353. He's got an inside-the-park home run showing his athleticism. He's got an outside-the-park home run showing his strength at-bat. Guys, quick question. At this point, way too early, do we see Bobby Wood Jr. called up at any point this year? I think we absolutely do see him called up. You know, I I know his technical prospect ETA is 2022, but I'm just speaking into existence that this is the year that maybe we get to see both a wit watch and a wit watch in the same oh. season. Oh, okay. Okay, diction coach. Dude. <laughs> Armando, what do you think? Do we see Bobby Wood Jr. at any point? Hot take Mondo here. Bobby Witt Jr. is our Mike Trout. We have found our <laughs> superstar, ladies and gentlemen. Bobby Witt is the future of the Royals. You heard it here first. Now, I don't want to put him in immediately. I think maybe at the end of the season, if we're doing really well, maybe we can bring in Bobby Witt. But this is 2021. Bobby Witt is the real freaking deal. Like, not only because of this spring training, right? We've seen him in, in exhibitions before this. We've seen him play against the A's. We've seen him play against the Astros, actually, last year. He played really well. And, of course, he's been owning minor league baseball. He's been owning it. So this isn't a small sample size, Bobby Witt. This is like a two-year culmination that he is owning every single thing that he is doing. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have the superstar of the future, Dayton Moore, do not put him in. Wait, wait for him. We have time. Like, like you said, this year we're, we're maybe thinking a wild card team, but next year we're going to really play ball in the playoffs. I mean, give him another year in the minor leagues and just owning the minor leagues. Ladies and gentlemen, Bobby Witt Trout. I got to tell you, buddy, hot take Mondo is usually closer to like lukewarm oatmeal Mondo. What are you talking about? I feel about? like you don't really earn the. I feel like you don't really earn the moniker with your so-called hot takes. But that, as as he says, that Oracle Thirty Ninth Street. That is a bona fide hot take comparing Bobby Witt Jr. to Mike Trout. And you know what? May it be true. I mean, I dude, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be with both you guys on this one. I think there's a very good chance we see Bobby Witt this year, but I think it's gonna be a little bit more situational than we might think. What I'm saying is, 
we're, we're getting past the All-Star break, heading into late July, maybe early August. The Royals are still technically in contention. You know, they're in the hunt for that second wild card. You're seeing that graphic on ESPN. But second base and in the bottom half of the order, that batting has been an issue. So what do we do? We go fast and furious and we hit the NOS button here. Call down or designate licking... <laughs> designate Nicky Lopez for assignment and call up Bobby Witt Jr. just for that little push over the finish line to try and make it into that wild card spot. I see that as a very plausible thing happening. Anyway, so that has been our first installation of Wit Watch. <laughs> Wit Watch. I love it. <laughs> not brought to you by First Watch. Not yet, at least. So feel free to get on that. All right. So moving on forward. The highlight we're going to talk about in today's show is going to be the Royals pitching, which back when it was 2015, we had absolutely nothing to worry about in those regards. Johnny Cueto was our ace. We had a consistent lineup behind him of just throwing great games, and we had a lockdown bullpen. My, how things can change in the span of five years. We're still trying to find our identity in the rotation, but last year, we had a bit of a surprise in the bullpen end of things. We had some guys showing up. We had the return of some players like Trevor Rosenthal and guys like Stamont finally showing what they got. So it's going to be live by pitching, die by pitching this year for Kansas City, I think. First and foremost, I would like to talk about our starting rotation. We have some names on here that we recognize, some great, some maybe not so great. We also have, obviously, the Fab Five and a bevy of pitching prospects in the minor we're looking to call up, so I think we're going to get a bit of yin and yang, Kiaro and Skuro in regards to our rotation this year. Starting experienced pitchers coming back, we have left-hander Danny Duffy, right-hander Brad Keller, Right-hander Jacob Junis, left-hand pitcher Mike Miner, right-hand pitcher Brady Singer, and of course, left-hand pitcher Chris Bubich. Secondly, we have some prospects in the pipeline, including Daniel Lynch, Jackson Coar, Jonathan Bolin, and Asa Lacey. Boys, what do we see the starting rotation looking like this year, and what order do you see this rotation being in? I'll go first. If that's all right. Reese, first of all, I, I, I'm actually really glad you brought up 2015 because while I agree with you that in general, we didn't have much to worry about in terms of pitching day in and day out on any given day. And yes, technically Johnny Cueto was our ace, but, but I mean, that was a late season addition going into the playoffs, you know, but I think it's, it's an apt comparison to this season because like how we got through that 2015 season was through a ton of of innings eating good pitching from you know Jordano Ventura rest in peace Edinson Volquez uh, Jason Vargas uh, and then Cueto later in the season but remember he wasn't too good <laughs> until the very end when we really needed him he was an anomaly man uh, I, yeah I, I, obviously uh, I I I mean correct me if I'm wrong but Danny Duffy pitched a little bit that season right he wasn't hurt that I year I think we tried starting him once or twice but mostly we brought him in as like a middle innings eater bullpen guy yeah that's right Anyway, um, gosh, it's so funny that 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 is six years ago, that World Series run. Mm. But, uh, you know, the reason I bring that up is because we, we we remember the bullpen, right? Like that lockdown bullpen just gets through the sixth inning and then, you know, bring it home. I'm not saying I mean, it's not going to be that this season. Right. And so we just go use that as a starter. But I think that we should go for the same overarching philosophy in that any given day, whoever's up can just expect to be able to compete. Uh, 
because that was the hallmark of that 2015 team where uh, even though maybe none of those names besides Cueto and, and even then, you know, that was kind of a messy fit for a while. But, uh, you know, none of our starting pitchers had huge all-star names, right? But nonetheless, we were able to get solid outings through the sixth inning and lock it down with the bullpen. So I think this season it's going to be more like any guy who's up any given game is going to have to be ready to bring it. And I'm excited. I agree with you. I think it's really interesting that you bring the Cueto point up because some people may forget. I certainly haven't. Cueto was kind of uh, a heads or tails pitcher. Heads, he was pitching at home, and he looked like Sandy freaking Koufax. Tails, he was on the road, and he allows 11 runs against the Blue Jays through two innings in the playoffs, and suddenly that's a series. So I do agree. The, the rest of them behind him, I like the fact that they were never great, but they were never bad. Like you said, it's like you're going to get about two to four runs per game from everyone in our lineup. Now, Armando, I see you're itching to say something over there. So what's your opinion on this? Yeah. So starting. Okay. So this is what I would like to happen. I don't think that it's going to happen. Well, kind of mostly, Um, but this is what I would like to happen. Starting pitch. Number one, Brad Keller. Two, Singer. Three, Bubich. Four, Minor. Five, Jacob Junis. I would love for him to take a step up. I know he hasn't been what we thought he was going to be as this prospect that was going to pitch really well. But I mean, in the past couple of years, he hasn't done very well, unfortunately, uh, because Danny Duffy does so much better when he's in the bullpen and kind of same with Jacob Junis. But Junis is younger. Junis still has time to develop, even though he's kind of he's getting closer to 30. If we can get Junis to be at the end of the rotation and have him pitch I don't know, like a four ERA or like a high three ERA. That would be great at the end of the rotation, right? And then having Danny Duffy in there, maybe pitching like three innings instead of instead of six innings, right? Because right now, Danny Duffy hasn't shown us that he can pitch six innings anymore or seven innings anymore, right? He can't go that much anymore. So if we can get Junis to make that jump, that is a very good starting lineup. Mike Miner, people forget that he was an all-star only two years ago, right? He's a very good pitcher and I'm glad that we got him. And if he can be very good if Singer and Bubich can move up. If that lineup does well, our pitching can be good and we can be a wildcard team and play. I understand when you see Jacob Junis make that next leap and I know he said the same thing too. I think the issue with him right now is the fact he's been primarily a two-pitch guy. Like 70 plus percent of his pitches have come from just two different styles being his slider and his fastball. Uh, We're going to need him to develop more pitches to be a like a back end starter and a quality long reliever, and I, I know this uh, spring training he's been working on a cutter and a changeup. The reason I kind of want him in the bullpen right now is that I mean, you look at Mariano Rivera; he was a one pitch guy. Everybody knew what he was going to throw. It was just dang impossible to hit it. So if Junis can really harness those two pitches, I don't know, maybe out of third for like a splash of flavor. I think he would be great as potentially like a long reliever or maybe somebody closer to the end of the bullpen. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all those points. I think it's a mistake to write off Duffy as a starter just because everything that makes him maddening also makes him great. Where I I mean, we saw it in the, the his last start, I guess, three, four games ago where, you know, he allowed a bunch of runs in one inning and then was just locked down the other two or three innings he went out. And that's the story of Duffy always. But because he is kind of um, 
up and down. The ups are good enough. And I think even still at his age, after the, the dealing with some injuries and some time away, I think that he will most likely still make the starting rotation. Um, and I also think that it might be, well, I really liked Junis as a starter last season, actually, even though statistically it didn't really show. And so I think that uh, Armando's point is good, that I think the Junis should for sure be a lock for the starting rotation. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like, like I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but just but just from the eye test, like, and, and you guys know, Duffy performed much better when he was in the bullpen as opposed to being a starting pitcher. So maybe we can split the difference then and maybe have, like uh, Reese had said, not a long inning starting pitcher right give us give us four innings and then put junis in and then stall him on and you know we'll talk about that later but if if we can just get like four good innings from danny duffy right and we haven't seen that in spring trading unfortunately i mean he's still he still looks like danny duffy i mean he has what a 10 era i think i just looked up right now um it's not great it's not great and that's what we don't want at the end of the rotation especially with all this potential that we have on this team right now right with all these people that are doing well if that becomes the reason why we don't make the playoffs if if danny duffy just sucks the entire season then i'm gonna be pretty mad Hot Take Mondo is going to be fiery. Listen, More fiery than Kyle can even imagine. Listen, I'll tell you, uh, if it's a pitching reason that we don't make the playoffs, it won't be because of the starters. I'll say that. Are you sure? You know, I, I think the big thing, like I mentioned in 2015, was the fact that even before we acquired Johnny Cueto, we basically knew what we were going to get from our starting pitching, which was it wasn't going to be six, seven innings of one hit baseball. But we knew we weren't going to get shelled for five, you know, five runs if we put Volquez out there for six innings. And that kind of goes for everybody down to like maybe Chris Young. You know, he was the back end of the rotation kind of short start guy. But I feel like a lot of the pitching this year is like I referenced last episode. We just need everybody to play consistently to their level. Brad Keller doesn't have to be freaking Cy Young. But if Brad Keller can consistently be Brad Keller, if Chris Bubich can consistently be Chris Bubich, if Mike Miner can consistently be Mike Miner, I think that's the key to successful pitching and winning a lot more games to put us on the other side of the second wild card. I can hear that. Well, put it to you this way. If we have four categories of starting pitching, bullpen pitching, defense, and hitting, which of those four categories are the most likely to cost to 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 be the worst and the best? I won't make you rank them or you can rank them if you like, but the most problem spot and the most lockdown spot defense is probably our best spot unfortunately i don't i don't think it no, should be but it Royals. is like, like that's, that's, nah, that's 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 the, the way we've baseball. been let's go i love it which is fine but it's not playoff like like it's so opposite from like football defense wins championships or like you know lakers played really good like defense but hey, in baseball it's like okay great it's great to have 2015 defense. armando let's go okay yes but but we also had we also had bats and we and and, and we also just talked about pitching as well in 2015 Listen, mike moustakis has the home run record for the Royals. That's ridiculous. Mike Moustakis does not have the home run record for the Royals. Jorge Soler crushed it two years ago. Yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. Sorry. But he but he but he did have it. He had that's ridiculous that Mike was and, and I love Moose. Like I'm not right. trying to crap on him, but that's ridiculous that he set the record. So defense number one, but I I think that our biggest weakness could be potentially be our biggest weakness is going to be pitching. I'm going to jump on Armando's side. Really? Yeah, I agree with Armando oh, wow. on this one. I okay. think 
Okay. If I had to rank those categories, the ones I'm not worried about, our defense is our defense is consistently good. Our bullpen, if it plays like last year, was not 2015, but was consistently good. I think what happened last year, we can call it the Chris Bubich effect if we want. The pitching either went like seven innings, one run baseball with absolutely no run support from the offense, or the offense scored five, but the starting pitching allowed seven. You know, and at that point, it's like it doesn't matter how locked down your bullpen's going to be if the offense can't come back, and it doesn't matter how many runs your offense scores if your defense is going to allow, or if your pitching is going to allow just as many. So, I mean, I I think those are the two sides of the same coin. If I if I had to give the edge, I think games are going to be won and lost when it comes to wild card standings through the starting pitching. I'm not sure I really... Well, now I'm, I'm curious about Kyle. Yeah, what's your ranking, Kyle? Yeah, I, I, I don't particularly agree with that, and that's just that just comes down to Singer and Bubich and the experience factor because we saw so much good pitching from them last season in the COVID-shortened season. Like I mean, with almost no preparation, right, when it comes to coming up through the minors. And so with the experience of Duffy, Keller to some extent, Junis, Minor... Uh, and those other guys, I I really think that we're going to have a chance to have serviceable starting pitching. My fear with the Royals is always offense. It just it just is uh, because I I'm never concerned about the way that our farm system scouts defensive talent. We always have the fastest guys who play hard. It's awesome. I just I I always get concerned that we don't back up Singer when he has a no hitter through six right, or, or or we don't back up Duffy when he comes out just firing for four innings and then has to turn it over but i hear you guys we'll see all sides of the ball club i think have enough talent right now that if you can just like make the motto of this year just be lunch pail man clock in do your job clock out every day consistently this team is not at a lack of talent right now it's at a lack of consistency hot take mondo uh this won't be hot take like kyle says my hot takes are which is crazy man i have great hot <laughs> oh takes. he's hurt he's hurt <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah no that's my freaking name but it's funny coming from the oracle of 39th street anyway i guess that's another story for another day oh he's hurt um, he's really but hurt. like you were saying i i actually agree with kyle that potentially our offense could be our demise although i think the pitching has bigger holes it's very it's still very likely that the offense can suck we, we <laughs> talked about this on the last podcast right mondesi you have to show up michael a taylor has been has been great in spring training but he has to do it in the beginning during the season right uh nicky lopez nicky lopez i mean he's never he's been one of the worst hitters ever so yes like it is very like i mean not very likely but it is likely that these guys can still not progress that they can regress or stay the same which is going to be our demise then okay boys uh just because we're getting a little crunched on time here i'm gonna ask kind of a two-sided question right here First one, I want us to walk through what we think the opening day starter is going to be down the rotation. And then there's going to be a second half to the question at the very end. So stop me if you disagree. But starting with our opening day starter and or ace, I'm saying it's going to be Brad Keller. Anybody disagree? Yep. Okay. This is where we're going to start getting some disparity. Our number two starter in the rotation, I'm looking at left-handed pitcher Mike Miner. Oh, interesting. I could see it. Uh, I think Singer. I think Singer. I too. think I think Singer is gonna gonna take the jump, and I I think he's gonna solidify too. I think Singer too, but I don't ha- I don't hate Miner there. Okay, I'm outvoted. It's, it, I, I will take Singer as the number two starter. So then we're going third in the rotation. 
considering the outvoting there. I had Singer, so why do we say Mike Minor? Sure. Number three in the rotation? Yeah. Yep. All right, our first yep. lefty. Uh, our first, our fourth pitcher in the lineup, I think we're going to go back-to-back lefties then, Chris Bubich, number four. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Okay, and now for the fifth question, which is the back half of this question. Who do you see as the fifth starter getting that spot, and who do you see being as our long reliever? Is it going to be Danny Duffy? Is it going to be Jacob Junis? Or do you think one of the pitching prospects from the farm system is going to get called up to be our back-end guy? I mean, I'll just do this really quick because I already answered it. Duffy is... I I would like to see Junis as the starter that doesn't pitch very much, and then Duffy in the rotation because he's been better in the rotation but to Kyle's point it's probably going to be Duffy but we'll see we'll see I would love to see Junis jump I would love to see when it comes to opening day I'm not sure uh, opening week whatever you want to say I'm not sure who it will be I will say that throughout the season I'm sure Duffy gets 10 starts but I also think that especially in 162 game season Matheny showed no fear in using the opener especially with the COVID depleted rosters last season, right? And so he had no problem pitching guys even two innings, three innings before putting a starter, quote unquote, in later. And so I don't want to say this point is moot. I think like, you know, the magic of the opening day starter, like this is the guy, you know, is is worth discussing. And obviously these younger guys, Singer and Bubich, want to be working their way up the quote unquote, you know, kind of rotation. But I, you know, I'm not going to say it's dead and that the Tampa Bay Rays killed it. The rotation still exists. But I will say, especially for a defense-heavy small market team like us, you know, these questions are not as imperative as the actual inning-by-inning performance of these guys. All very good points. I think it's interesting that Duffy's a lefty, Junis is a righty. I think maybe the fifth starter in the rotation doesn't get nailed down. It could be very situational as opposed like to what we need that day in that rotation. I mean, we got three very capable lefties able to start in the rotation. We got three very capable righties to start in the rotation. So I think it'll be interesting to see what we get for the pitching order this year, and I am very excited. I actually have a quick point about that, Reese. It's actually important to have Duffy or Junis in the bullpen because if we don't and we kind of put them in the starting rotation, we only have Love Lady as our left-handed pitcher in the bullpen. So we have to have one of those guys in there. And like I said, would love to have Duffy in there because we don't want Love Lady to be the only left-handed pitcher in the bullpen. That would be trouble. That's a very good point, and I can't wait to talk about that more as we transition into talking about the bullpen bullpen later on in this podcast all right everybody it's time for everyone's favorite segment and that's the beer review armando tell us what you're sipping on today all right so this has a little story to it If you all recall from season one, by the way, we're in season two, faster, more furious, more bigger, more everything. In season one, Buffalo Mike lost a bet to Reese and I, uh, aka Hot Take Mondo, aka Referees. Buffalo Mike from Buffalo thought that the Bills would beat us in the playoffs and they definitely did not beat us. So whoever was going to win was going to send the other person a beer of their choice. If Buffalo Mike won, we were going to send him some Boulevard and Buffalo Buffalo Mike 
actually, well, first of all, we didn't think that he was going to send us stuff because he was super bitter about the the Bills losing. Um, and I don't blame him because it was quite the loss. But Buffalo Mike came through and Buffalo Mike gave us some amazing beers to review. So today, the first time in the history of Found City Sports Media, we are going to have two people review one beer at the same time. That's right. You're getting some exclusive debut beer reviewing today. Whoa, that sounds like the kind of stuff you can only find in Caesar 2. Season 2. <laughs> Caesar <Wow>. 2. <laughs> Hold on. Have you guys been hitting the bottle early or what? Jesus. Caesar's alter ego, Caesar 2. Let me let me take another stab of that. <laughs> that sounds like Wow, that sounds like the kind of stuff you can only find in season two. And you know what? Buffalo Mike did not skimp on us. He didn't send us, you know, Kyle's favorite Lone Star or Coors Light. Don't you dare knock Lone Star. According to BeerAdvocate.com, Buffalo Mike sent us the number one ranked IPA in America. Hetty Topper by the Alchemist Brewery in Vermont. Are you for real? So this is, yeah, it's the number one ranked um, IPA on Beer Advocate, and it's the number five ranked beer overall in America uh, with a score of 100, which if you guys know Beer Advocate, not a lot get 100. So we are actually trying one of the best beers ever right now so thank you buffalo mike for definitely not skimping on us uh can't wait to have you on in season three when we beat the bills again and you just send us more of this great stuff wow that's straight savage i was about to like do the equivalent of knighting buffalo mike not just like flexing on him (laughs) dude wow well should should we now call him sir buffalo mike on the on the pod Ooh, uh, we might need to call him Sir Buffalo Mike. All right. <laughs> Buffalo Mike, we now pronounce you Sir Buffalo Mike, which is fitting for today's uh, interviews or yesterday's interview with uh, Megan and Harry. You know, is it is it weird that because I was not around for that interview with Buffalo Mike, I sort of picture him as an anthropomorphic buffalo? I mean, that might just be the Bojack speaking in your head, to be honest. You know, I, I have the same thoughts, to be honest, if we're being... He actually could. He's actually super ripped. So, I mean, maybe his like arms turn into like Buffalo, the Buffalo. I don't know. He's, he's not very hairy. Though. I heard I he flipped he over a Buffalo and that's how he got the name <laughs> Buffalo Mike. We'll, we'll give him a coronation ceremony on the, uh, on the draft live cast. <laughs> and thanks for all of Buffalo Mike's family. We hear that Buffalo Mike's family still listens. So yeah, hey, thanks for listening. That's awesome. But without further ado, let's let's get going on this amazing beer. I'm super excited. Great. You already know how it goes. Let's talk about some aroma. Hetty Topper is an American double IPA. Um, a lot of I don't actually know what the hop is on it. I'll have to look while Reese does his reviewing. But right now I'm getting a ton of grapefruit. I'm getting a lot of pineapple as well, which is really nice. So it's kind of like a mixed hazy with a with a clean IPA, which is very, very cool. Um, you also kind of smell the, the dank on it, uh, but it's primarily grapefruit, which I really enjoy. So I'm going to give it for the aroma an 8.7. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Armando on this. I'm getting a lot of pineapple on the nose. Not as much grapefruit, but that's just because I sniff out pineapple like a truffle hound. Uh, I do get some of the hop dankness in there. Not too much. This isn't, you know, like some dirty socks West Coast IPA nonsense, but bursting with flavor off the seams. Personally, I am not spoiled by the Colorado IPA scene the way you do, so my simpleton Midwest IPA senses are going to give this an aroma of a 9.3. Woo! 
I mean, I probably should give it more, but yeah, you're right. Because I've had so many hazy IPAs, it's like, oh, this does smell like a good hazy IPA. But I mean, Who can this blame is one you? of the best in its style. So yeah, you're right. It should it should be very good. All right, Reese, how about the appearance? The appearance on this is a very nice, I'm going to say honey color. I know I've been saying a lot about a lot of IPAs nowadays, but it's it's yellowish, you know, kind of like straw. It's very translucent. I see some sediment in there. Also, the bubbles are kind of like going through there very slowly, which is giving me some like foreshadowing potentially on the heaviness of the mouthfeel. It's got a nice, clean, pillowy head on it, fairly translucent, uh, a little uneven, which isn't a bad thing, but just some bubbles at the top of mine are bigger than bubbles in other ones. Uh, it looks like it has a decent lace inside of the glass. I'm going to give the appearance of this one a nine. It looks really good, and I want to drink it. Nice. Okay, yeah, so it's kind of the same thing. This is more clear than I, I would have thought, actually, and it could be because Buffalo Mike sent it in the mail and you know sometimes you know shipping can actually mess the beer up a little bit um but yeah it's a little more clear than i would have thought it still has a a good haze to it and like you said it's kind of golden brown on the top and then a little lighter on the bottom which is really cool um pretty amazed that that the head retention is still really great and like i said buffalo i forgot when he bought it but i mean this this wasn't like he bought it yesterday so it's actually really impressive that the head retention is dope yeah, it looks great. And I'm really, yeah, I'm really curious to try it because if it's a hazy IPA, it should definitely be a less translucent, but it's not. So this is going to be exciting. Give me a nine, nine, just straight up nine. That's high praise from both of you. Armando, tell us about the flavor. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, things I get off the bat, a ton of grapefruit right off the bat, like pink grapefruit almost. And then that kind of with a pininess and then the pininess with a lot of carb as well, which you don't, for me, you don't get a lot of carb on hazy IPAs. There's so much sweetness and so much like stuff going on with it. You don't get a lot of bite, but this one is like a really nice bite that you get with the pineapple and the fruit and the grapefruit stuff, uh, which I don't really get often. So that's, that's really nice. I love it. 9.5. 9.5. Wow. Reese, what do you have to say to that? Oh, good gracious. Good gracious. You want to talk about just like the pure essence of hop? You know, I mean, it, it's common knowledge that, you know, the hop is from the same plant family as, you know, cannabis. You know, so a lot of people will describe dank in a different sense. You know, it can be dank and mildewy. It can be dank in kind of the skunky sense. Man, just having this in my mouth right away, I get such an earthy, piney, like dank flavor to it, unlike any IPA I've ever had oh, yeah. outside of maybe a gimmicky one, say Hemperer from New Belgium. That is a special flavor. That's like a woodsy, campfirey, grapefruity IPA in my mouth. Dude, I'm sorry. I got to go high on the flavor of this one. This is a 9 8. Woo! That might be the highest rating taste that you've ever done, Reese. I don't think you've ever done a 10. It, wow. This is special, man. If I can find this stuff out here, I have to get this in droves and share it. This is incredible. I, I think Buffalo Mike is, uh, is now our, our new mule. <laughs> Absolutely. Buffalo, mule, mule Mike and Buffalo Mike are the same person. Do you shouldn't have Mueller in. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it fits the you know four-legged pack animal trope. Reese, keep us going with uh, mouthfeel. The mouthfeel in this actually isn't as heavy as I would have guessed initially looking 
at just the beer and the way the carbonation's flowing in it. Uh, it has a nice uh, kind of sparkly mouthfeel to it from the carbonation, and I think just from the bitterness from the hops as well. It sits nicely. It doesn't linger too much. I get a lot of the hot bitterness in the sides and the back of my tongue. On this, I am going to give it a solid 8.5. 8.5 for mouthfeel. Okay. Any counter-arguments, Armando? No, no. This is this is super great. And kind of going back to what I talked about um, on taste... With the uh, with the mouthfeel, it's so fresh and it's so strange that it tastes so fresh because, like I said, like in comparisons to other hazy IPAs, you get a heavy mouthfeel where this is like a very light mouthfeel, but you still get the flavors of a hazy IPA, which is just strange to me. I mean, it's a really nice blend if you want to say like West Coast to East Coast IPA. Um And going off of Reese's uh, point as well of the dankness, like... It's nice, but it's not too much dank. Like, I would argue that the uh, Hemperer, like, that's super dank. Like, if I drove home after one Hemperer and I got pulled over, the cop would think I was drunk and high because of how much, like, dank there is in that. (laughs) But this one is so fresh and so light. I it almost tastes hashtag crushable, which is crazy because it's eight percent. So I mean, like this, like this, I can probably s- like slam down, which you normally cannot slam down something like this. I love it. Nine point two. And a reminder to all of our FCSM fans: never drink and drive. Armando, how about the aftertaste? Aftertaste is great. It's it's light. It's fresh, just like it is on the mouthfeel. Honestly, you get a lot more dankness and a lot more of that grapefruit, less of the sweetness that you did when you first took the sip, which I don't mind. I mean, that's great. That's great. I love smooth beers, and this is kind of a blend of smooth, but also pretty light and fresh. Love it. Nine point five. I agree. It's it's so funny because you know how with like some people. Or sometimes in pets, more so in pets, like someone, a dog has a puppy and the puppy is almost like a scaled version of one of the parent dogs and side by side. It's like, whoa, look at the mini me version of the dog. The aftertaste of this beer is the scaled back version of what it tastes like when it first enters your mouth. So I still get that piney, woodsy grapefruity dankness that I had going down, but coming back, it's like catching the wake of the boat it's the second wave of it just not as intense which is fantastic because sometimes with some of these danker ipas you get some of the the hoppiness going down and let's say you know pardon my my grossness you belch a little bit and you taste you're like wow that tastes real mildewy and gross all of a sudden come back up not in this case this thing holds itself coming up the way it did going down and for that reason i have to say good job guys aftertaste is going to be a nine nice All right, guys, in the spirit of Buffalo Mike and in the spirit of this uh, 2020-21 season, I'm going to need you both to assign this beer a PMGQ, a Patrick Mahomes goat quotient. Oh, dude, Kyle always slinging these. I love it. It's true. Paul, don't lie. Well, I got to be honest on this one. You know, when I see it rated as the fourth best beer in the world and beer advocating all these 100s, you know, I'm not going to lie. I know the beer community. I'm part of the beer community. Sometimes we can get a little caught up in a little culty in these things, being like, this is a good beer, right? Oh, yeah, it's a good beer. It's, it's a good beer. You know, but I got to be frank. I, I don't have any complaints about this beer. There is nothing that I would say I would fix on this beer 
There are no like weak points in the foundation that would say, well, you could have used an L joint there or something like that. No, Alchemist did it. Alchemist shut me up. I have a lot of stupid opinions I talk about to my wife, to myself in the shower, to the person next to me at the stoplight, but I, I have no opinions on this one. I'm speechless. This is crushable. I would go back and do multiple of these, and it's it's so drinkable. The flavor's incredible. BDQ on this, guys. I think it's a 10. <laughs> it's a 10 BDQ. <laughs> Whoa! I'm, I'm going to high-five Reese on the on this Google Hangout and agree with him. This is a 10. This is one of the best double IPAs I have ever had. And I, I can say that with exclamation point because of the lightness, the sweetness, the, the smoothness and just all the different textures to it. It actually doesn't say what hops are in it. I just like research for however long we've been doing this, uh, this beer review. It says that there's six different hops, which is also abnormal, right? There's usually only three featured hops or something, but there's six different ones, which is why I think it's so unique because there's so many different flavors and it kind of like comes at you like a flower bomb, which is pretty dope. Um, and I'm not sure what makes it smooth. I'm not going to pretend to know either, but that's what I really love about this is that it's smooth. It's crushable. It's crispy. I mean, it's almost like you're having a Pilsner, but you're having an IPA 10. Thank you, Buffalo Mike. I want to go to Vermont now. First off, I got to get a can of this so our boy Kyle can experience it. Second off, the reason we need our boy Kyle to experience this is that I think this beer has argument to be arguably the best IPA in existence. And subsequently, it's not enough of us. It's not enough for us just to say this is a great beer. It's like potentially the best of what it does. And subsequently, I recommend on this podcast, March 9th, 2021, we instigate voting for Mount Crushmore. Wait, whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I down. love that. Question. Is Mount Crushmore limited to four beers? Because I feel like it should be, right? It is. We, we need to talk about this on another podcast. We're going to keep talking about this later on. You know, yeah, because I also have a question. Can you can you rebuild Mount Crushmore? You can rebuild Mount Crushmore. I think that's fair to say. But for, for, for me, the reason it came into my head was because, I'm going to be honest, I'm biased. I work at Boulevard. But I think in the beer industry, people would say you are hard-pressed to find a better Saison with Britannomyces than Saison Brett that Boulevard makes. True. Like, this and Saison Brett are when we're talking like... You're like you're starting five. Like who's the best center? Who's the best uh, small forward? Who's the best shooting guard? So like I think you could say like this is the best point guard. Saison Brett's like the best shooting guard. But like we need to find what the other people in the top five or whatever we we'll put on Mount Crushmore is going to be. I I think I found my calling. Yeah, Crushmore is four, dude. Crushmore is four. It's got to be Crushmore is four. I don't think I've had enough Saison Brett to really remember the flavor so well that I can put it on Mount Rushmore, which means I'll have to drink it more. I'll, I'll get you some Saison Brett if it didn't make it. I mean, Saison Brett's one of those things where like you have Tank 7, you're like, wow, I find it hard to believe that like a Saison could get better than this. And you have Saison Brett and you're like, wow, this thing just slapped it. I can probably get it out here, I think. I'll, I'll find it. If not, we'll, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. talked about the starting rotation we're going to take a nice trip to pamplona for the running of the bull pens that is that one hit great no i like it yeah that's perfect good. all right i think i'm one for two tonight on jokes or maybe maybe one for three but remember 
333 is a good batting average. So go Red Sox. Moving on into the bullpen here. Last year, I think it's safe to say that, geez, while they weren't lights out, while they weren't all time, I think we were shocked at suddenly having a very passable, to dare I say, good bullpen with some very dangerous pieces that were in high demand on the back end of that. Wouldn't you guys agree? Stonks. Yeah. Stonkmott played well. Rosenstonk was great. And Greg Stonkland, you know, all three of those dudes really showed up last year when I didn't expect it. Now, we only have a handful of those dudes returning this year. Guys we have coming back to the bullpen, we have right-handed pitcher Scott Barlow, right-handed pitcher Greg Holland, left-hander Richard Lovelady, right-hander Jake Newberry, left-hand Gabe Spire, right-hand Jesse Hahn, right-hand Josh Stomont, right-hand Kyle Zimmer, and right-hand Tyler Zuber. Now, some notable departures we had between last season and the offseason. Trevor Rosenthal, obviously, you know, we dished him off for the uh, the Olivares trade. Ian Kennedy contract is up. Jorge Lopez we traded. And Glenn Sparkman is now with the Minnesota Twins. Subsequently, though, we have some notable additions to this bullpen in the offseason. Brad Brock, Irvin Santana. Friend of the podcast. And everybody's favorite returner, Wade Davis, looking for his third Act. Now, guys, we have a whole bunch of talent here in the bullpen. Uh, what expectations do we have for the bullpen this year? Just just looking at these pieces, if you had to plug them in, do we see a great bullpen, a good bullpen, an average bullpen, a bad bullpen? What do you guys think? Right off the bat, I'm going to take you guys back through space and time to the days of 2012 and 13 and to some degree 14. But mostly 2012. The time, uh, actually, you should be called the uh, the uh, time traveler, not the Oracle of 39th but Street. But mostly Kyle. 2012 and 2013. Because do you remember when, first of all, shout out to Bruce Chen. Because the first Royals game that I ever saw, I saw Bruce Chen pitch. And he just got shellacked by Cleveland. And then I think the second Royals game, maybe, or th- or, or, or third Royals game. I don't. I think we were playing Minnesota, maybe, and he just locked him down for like seven innings with his like maybe eighty nine mile an hour fastball tops. It was like the last year of his career. Wow. But yeah, love that guy. But that was the season when they were starting to to try like Kelvin Herrera as a starter, Wade Davis as a starter, and it was not good. It was not good. Kelvin Herrera was giving up home runs like party favors. And uh, yeah, Wade Davis was not born to start. I mean, we figured out he was born to close. Great. But the number one thing that I took away from that is, you know, we have nearness bias to the Royal system, right? But I really like how it seems like our organization is able to figure out what guys are good at and find a way to let them excel. And so, yes, we were terrible for 30 years. But at least in sort of like the most recent iteration of the Royals, I think that we've seen a lot of, you know, there very well could have been an instance where Kelvin Herrera never really had a major league career. And instead, he winds up being a fantastic reliever. Or Wade Davis is a great example of like, you know, he had a great run with us and then went off and continued to like pitch really well for other teams, too. And then he's back. Same with Greg Holland. Less so with the injuries, of course. But I think it's. It's exciting that we have all of this talent. I'm not going to say that I know where it's all going to fall, but I do trust that we're going to give guys opportunities in different places and figure out where their strengths lie. 
I think it's a good point to talk about where strengths lie. I think sometimes we might go back to the well a little too often just for like confirmation's sake. For example, after dealing Wade Davis to the Cubs, we tried out Kelvin Herrera as a closer. Now, Herrera, an elite setup guy, just throwing straight heat. As a closer, he wasn't quite the same pitcher. But, you know, once we bumped him back down to that eighth inning setup guy, suddenly the fire wizard was back. And, you know, we, we've tried doing that in the past, too, with guys like Ian Kennedy that was kind of working until he tweaked himself again. And he just, you know, we couldn't make the transition as a closer the way we wanted to. But like you said, we seem to do a good job at finding the strengths and weaknesses of players and repurposing them the way small market teams have to in order to get the most value out of guys. I mean, shoot. Sorry, Armando. Um, Irvin Santana is another great example of that, where his his stats from that 2013, I believe, year that he pitched for us uh, in terms of win losses are not fantastic. But he pitched really well for us that year. In a, in a year that I, I'm not even sure he was expected to make the rotation in a serious way. Yeah, answering Reese's or, or original question, I think that this bullpen is going to be pretty good. I mean, Scott Barlow, Greg Holland, Josh Stomont have all shown that they are still doing very well. I haven't seen any signs of regression from them during spring training or in the 2020 season. I love Josh Stomont. Did you know, in fact... He threw the most fastballs over 101 miles per hour than anyone in the league last year. In fact, it's twice as much as the second person in the league. So this dude throws fire and the most fire in the MLB. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him make another jump. He did really well last year. Looking forward to him having an even more prominent role on the Royals, which will be very nice. Um, It would be great to see the Brad Brock of old as well. Brad Brock was a all-star in 2016 hasn't didn't do incredibly well during the 2020 pandemic um, but if we can get some uh what do I want to say um residual greatness from the 2016 all-star Brad Brock that would be a great addition I don't know what Wade Davis is going to look like I mean who knows if if Wade Davis is the Wade Davis old great but if it's the Wade Davis of 2020 not great. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Kyle Zimmer the same way. I don't know what's going to happen with him. I don't see him being a prominent role for us, um, but it would be great to see him make a jump. Uh, same with Zuber. I don't think we talked about Zuber, but Zuber and and um, and Kyle uh, Zimmer, I kind of put in the same in the same frame as like, I'm not really sure what they're going to be for our team. doesn't really matter to me because we have such a strong core of, like I said, Stoman Hall and Barlow. Uh, Jesse Hans looked pretty good this spring training as well, so that would be be great so i think that we are going to be a good bullpen but not a great bullpen yet reese before you go royals bullpen check tag yourself i'm scott barlow what who's your favorite oh, who's my f- who's your favorite deep cut bullpen guy i'm scott barlow oh deep cut oh. bullpen guy i mean is he deep is he deep cut though he's fantastic no, no he's not i'm making a joke <laughs> I'm making a joke because nobody who's not a Royals fan is going to like know these names oh, be, unless they had made names for themselves oh. on other teams, you know? Yeah, people will know Greg Holland. People know Wade Davis. Yeah, I mean, they don't know any of our... They don't know any players except for Jorge Soler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, fine, fine. Favorite deep cut Royal on our bullpen. Uh, I'm going to go with... Oh, man. Uh, Josh Stomont. I still don't think people know Josh Stomont as well as they should. Yeah. Isn't it Stomont? Is that right? Can we decide that once and for all? I was. I think. I think Americanized Stomont. I've. I've heard. I've heard Stomont. Isn't it like Stofers? 
I thought they say, I think Denny calls him Josh Stamat, and I trust Denny. It might not be right. I don't know. I think it's I think it's the diction training us that's like pronouncing it properly. He might not even pronounce it right, but you know. Speaking about me holding grudges, I do recall Kyle saying on the last time that we talked about the Royals that I said it wrong, but I always hear other people say Stomont, so I'm going to say Team Stomont. And I'm also Team Stomont because I bring the fire. I bring over 101 mile per hour takes every single time. So I'm liking what all you guys are saying here. I think Josh Stomont has a lot of stuff that is kind of getting underappreciated. I mean, that guy is throwing uh, off-speed pitches in the low 90s. And I mean, guys like Aroldis Chapman, Kelvin Herrera, you know, they throw straight fire. It's hard to hit what you can't see. Dude, Stomont is throwing moving pitches that are at like 100 plus miles per hour that I have, I have never seen sinkers like that before. It's insane. Uh, you know, the one thing that Armando kind of alluded to earlier that has me a little bit concerned is the fact that we seem to have a little bit of a lack of left-handed pitching our bullpen. We're looking at Lovelady and Spire right now or our returning left-handed pitchers. We also have some guys kind of popping up right now. We have a career major league call-up AAA waffler. His name's Jake Brents. Uh, he's gone up to 101 miles per hour on the radar gun so far, and he's another left-hander. So I wouldn't be upset having a left-handed flamethrower in the bullpen. The question's going to be if he can keep his stuff under control. Also, Daniel Lynch is a left-hander. He doesn't necessarily have to start, but he's a left-hander. That's a good point. Armando? I don't think Spire or Brentzer is, is going to make the team. We only have so many spots in the bullpen. Now, I do think Daniel Lynch at some point could make the team, maybe at the end of this season. Apparently, he was looking great in the beginning of, of spring training, but towards the end, he's actually been playing a lot, but not, not looking too good. So I don't know what's going to be the future for him. But for right now, I honestly just see Lovelady as left-handed, which is not great. I mean, we're not even halfway through spring training, so he's got he's got plenty of time. And kind of like I alluded to earlier, you know, you got some guys just kind of like, you know, putting oil in the joints and taking at-bats and guys really trying to prove themselves. A lot of times in the spring training, it's like some of these younger prospect guys might literally just be trying to like, hey, this inning, I'm going to throw basically nothing but a fork ball to see if I can develop it. So guys like, you know, Lynch and Coar that necessarily don't have great ERAs by any stretch right now. I mean, they really might just be throwing home run derby practice pitches right now. Yeah, which is which is why I I I don't see Daniel Lynch being on this roster in the beginning of the season or even the middle of the season. Like it would he's great and I don't think he's a bad pitcher. I just don't think he's ready for you know, to be in the rotation because there's just so many guys ahead of him right now, right? We just talked about so many. I mean, we didn't even talk about Jacob New Newberry yet either. You know, there's just so many people that that are still ahead of them that we really have to get through before we talk about Daniel Lynch. Absolutely. And Bubich, Lynch, and Coar have three of the, the lowest, or excuse me, have three of the highest ERAs on the team so far this spring training. So, I mean, would you rather be a team in spring training that's six and two or a team in spring training that's two and six? You can't really read too much into it, but at the same time, I know where I'd rather sit. That's fair. Now, speaking of players that do have some stuff to prove and have to do a little bit more than getting the cobwebs off, I'm talking about some of our veteran guys running back HDH, Greg Holland, and Wade Davis. 
I think they're going to be two very critical cogs in this bullpen machine. And so far, they're not looking too bad. As of right now, Wade Davis, he's got three games, three innings, one win, and a zero ERA. Greg Holland, he's got two games, two innings, four strikeouts, and also a zero ERA. Do you guys see Wade Davis returning to form as well as Greg Holland maintaining good form? Listen, here's the thing. I'm not sure that I see either Davis or Holland performing to a level at which they are the definitive closer for this team. I think it's awesome that early signs point to them in spring training uh, being able to compete at a major league level. I think that's great. You know, Holland had a good season last year, but obviously like both these guys are now, you know, six years removed from the World Series run. And so I'm just not sure, especially with all these guys coming down the pipe, that either Wade or Greg are able to lock down that position as like the only guy who ever sees closer. What do you guys think? Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm going to pretty much agree with Kyle. Like we're going to see a lot of Scott Scott Barlow, but I think we're going to see a lot of Greg Holland. I mean, Greg Holland hasn't shown a lot of regression from this year. Right. And last year. Right. Even though he's older, he's still playing extremely well. I think Wade Davis is the person that we're not sure what he's going to look like, even though he looks good right now. We have to see him again, right? Because in 2020, in the COVID season, he didn't do well. So it's interesting to see if, if he can be maybe average Wade Davis. We don't need him to be Wade Davis of old. But if he can be average Wade Davis, give us good two innings, right? Give us two innings, right? We have so many great people in the bullpen. If we can get Wade Davis giving us two solid innings along with Holland, along with Barlow, Stomont, like the people that we've already mentioned, then this is going to be a great bullpen. But Wade Davis might not make the team. I don't know. I think it's worth noting that both Holland and Wade Davis have had stints with the Colorado Rockies since being with the Royals. I mean, it's a known fact the air is thinner up there. You know, it is very much like a batter's paradise when you have to go against these thin aired pitchers. Now, like we've alluded to, some players didn't play well in the 2020 COVID season. And we have a few of them on our team, guys like Santana, guys like Benintendi and Davis. But I don't know how much you can read into the tea leaves of last year and try and use that as some sort of barometer for this year, just given all of the weird circumstances. I want to throw out some Holland stats for you guys last year. I I think I have some hope for him. He had a four-run, two-earned-run game against the White Sox on August 2nd. But other than that, he was pretty clean for the shortened season. He had a zero ERA for the month of September, and he finished with a 1.91 ERA, which that's pretty good for somebody hanging out maybe in that 789 territory somewhere. Now, Wade Davis, this is going to be kind of more of like a reclamation redemption tour for him because he kind of got shellacked for the better part of the last two years. I still think both of them have prominent roles in the bullpen, even as a sixth-inning guy we see consistently. Where we see them in the 7-8-9 position and or how often, I think that really remains to be seen. I think we're going to see more Brad Brock than we are going to see Wade Davis, honestly. I mean, I love oh, Wade Davis, but I just, think, I just think we have some better people that might be more important in the rotation. We'll see. I mean, that's fair. Talking more about this then, like we did with the rotation, the 7-8-9 guys are historically a big deal for the Kansas City Royals. I mean, for any team, but particularly the Royals here. 
Who do we see as our seven, eight, nine lockup pitchers? When Reese had sent this outline, and the question is, who do you see as our seven, eight, nine guys? I thought the question was, who hits at the bottom of the lineup? Because that is <laughs> yeah. death for the Royals in these past, like, basically since 2016. And that's an interesting question, too, which I'm going to put to you guys in a moment. No, we're not going to just off. We got to finish this this pitching stuff. We're talking about pitching, not batting. Can can this question wait one more week when we talk about batting next time? What? Are you me? This is a pitching episode. It's a pitching episode? Didn't you read the outline? That's why the outline has bullpen and starting. Bro, didn't you read the outline? We're bro? not going to talk about hitting at all this episode. No, we don't. We don't. We don't do this free ball, Kyle. What? You guys are ridiculous. We have so many weeks before the season starts. We gonna- wait. Why? Why are you lumping me in? Why are you lump? I'm. I'm on vacation right now. I am just a contributor. <laughs> Okay, sorry, Reese. I I forgot this is a pitching episode. I'm sorry. It's a great question, though. I mean, I, I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, Me too. I, 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 but I want to talk about seven, eight, nine next week. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Boo. Sorry. I think you have a good point in saying that this is kind of the setup season, and 2022 is supposed to be the can we actually compete season. But I think there's a reason why you brought in Ben and Tenney and Carlos Santana now, and that's can we be good enough with the talent we have this year to realistically get a taste. Of that wild card. And this year, like I said, with pitching in the starting rotation, I think a lot of the fine line winning or losing this wild card spot is going to come down to who we have as our setup guys. Now, I do like the idea of Stomont and Barlow as probably the eight and nine. I'm not sure who you put where. I think seven's going to be huge. I I know Fangraphs actually has Greg Holland projected as the closer, which I think is a little bit of wishful thinking for a guy his age coming off Tommy John's. But, man, I I hope Wade Davis really shows up. Maybe he can be the seventh inning setup guy. I think Barlow might be the seventh inning guy for all we know. But like you said, we've tried a lot of different guys like Han in there as well. So, I don't know. That's just that's just my thought on the importance of getting these three dudes right. One other question for you guys. Going back to last episode where we made our predictions slash hopes for the record at the end of this season, if the pitching comes together in a way that we all want, which is, I think, uh, dependable starting pitching, if not Cy Young campaigns out of any one of these guys necessarily, and lockdown bullpen pitching, not necessarily approaching 2014-15, but in the... In, in the tradition of the last, you know, eight years of the Royals being relevant, basically, would you still be happy with, you know, like we said, maybe 71 wins as a minimum and the ceiling being wildcard contention? Or if the pitching really overperforms and is uh, not supported by the offense and kind of the big picture of this season, would you be hugely disappointed by that? I would say... I think 71 is the floor, and just again, like the words of the day for me are going to be talent and consistency. I think we have the talent where the floor should be 71. I think the consistency is going to dictate whether we get that number, if not higher. What worries me a little bit is that I don't think guys like Singer and Bubich are ready to 
contend at a level where they consistently are those dudes where it's like we're getting three no higher than four runs per game with these guys. I think they might still get shelled in a few outings, which would be enough to keep us out of serious wild card contention. But I just really hope that they're tweaking lineups, that they're putting guys in the right situations up until we can't fight anymore for that wild card. I'm going to address Reese's point and then I'm going to address Kyle's. Reese, I kind of disagree with you half because I think Singer is going to make the jump and Singer will be a solid to Boobich. Yes, I think what we saw from Boobich last year, we didn't see strikes of gold from Boobich. We saw some strikes of gold that were really good, right? But I think Boobich, you're right, is probably going to have some bad games. But Singer, we I think we struck gold with Singer, right? If we can get Keller, Singer, one and two, I think it's going to be a great team. Going back to Kyle's point, I would be more disappointed if we had great pitching and horrible offense, right? Because this is the year where we got Benintendi and Carlos Santana, like Reese had said, which means Mondesi, you got to show up. Uh, Michael A. Taylor, you got to show up. Nicky Lopez, you got to show up at those end of those bull uh, at the end of the lineup. Then I would be very disappointed because you're right. We've seen the Royals make moves that said. Offense is now important. Defense has always been important, but offense we have to make very important for this next year. So, yeah, I'd be really disappointed if they didn't show up. We've done a good job talking about pitching today. Next week, tune in as we're going to go to the flip side of this coin and we're going to talk about the offense. If it's resurgent, if they have the gas, if they can rake, if they can hoe, if they can culminate seeds of an offense in the garden of Kauffman Stadium. And Jorge Soler hit an awesome home run today. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive B-reviews. Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. Music